This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10 off T E N O F F for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Hey everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Everything Went Black. This is part two of the Unholy Portland mini-series featuring Casey Logan of Murder Bay. And for those of you who listened last week, you'll uh, have our assessment of their brand new record, Nostalgia Like Cancer, and our thoughts on this fine band from Portland. Before we get into that, I just want everyone to be aware that we're running a Patreon you can join Patreon for as little as $1 a month and get access to bonus content. And if you're doing the level two, $5 a month, you can get early access to all of these episodes. I'd also like everyone to uh, check out Everything Went Black podcast on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and uh, follow us on Twitter, even though I do not interact on Twitter. You know, it's funny, uh, Ralph, like last year, uh, he sent me a link to uh, when the sun down, when the sun goes down, it goes down forever. And uh, yeah, and he's, he's like, man, this is right up your alley. It's like, you know, fields of Nephilim, very uh, dark, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, somber like vibe to it. And um, I, I'd never heard murder beat before. And of course, I was like very much into it as soon as I heard it. And when it came time to the end of the year, uh, there, there's another podcast called Into the Necrosphere. And um, every year mm-hmm. I'm a guest on there and we, we do our you know best top records of the year. And I was like, oh, the Murder Bait record. But then I realized it came out in 2019. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Or, or it didn't come out in 2021. So I couldn't it wasn't eligible for uh, yeah, my yeah. you know best record of the year, or top favorite records, or whatever you want to call it. But with that said, this year in 2022, there is a new Murder Bay record. There's Nostalgia Like Cancer. Are you guys a 100% independent band, or you have the you know? Are you working with a label? So you know what what's uh, what's the background with all this? Uh, well, we have been. 100% independent um, until, and that's kind of the weird thing that happened with our last EP, The When the Sun Goes Down, It Goes Down Forever. Uh, we released that ourselves, and that was actually the second release that we put out in 2019. Um, and it was sort of we had just recently added a new guitar player, an additional guitar player at the time. And we were just really eager to record something that had our current lineup in it. So we went in the studio, recorded a couple songs, uh, and then put it out. I've personally, even though I've been playing in bands for over 25 years, I've never been very good at the business side of being in a band. Uh, in, in fact, a lot of my years of playing music, I've been vehemently against <laughs> trying to 
do things correctly. I just wanted to create and put music out and the whole, you know, going through the process of finding a label and putting it out was not something I was even interested in doing. But with that last EP, we self-released it. And then like six months later, I ended up getting contacted by um, Mattia from Sentient Ruin Laboratories and asked, he said, hey, I would love to put this last EP out on my label just to put it out on vinyl. I noticed it's not pressed out in vinyl yet. We, we made a small run of cassette tapes that we did ourselves, everything from the packaging to the actual uh, duplication and all that. But yeah, we didn't put anything out on vinyl. So he offered to do that. So, I mean, we were ex- very excited about that idea. Sentine Ruin puts out some really great stuff. They have really good care in terms of how they curate the music that's on the label and also, you know, the packaging and, and all that sort of stuff that we are uh as a band pretty nerdy about so we ended up putting that out on that label and then at that point we were already in the process of we were mostly done uh writing the new album nostalgia like cancer but we hadn't recorded it yet and then we shortly after went into the studio recorded and uh in that time we lost our one of our guitar players who was one of the, the original guitar player for Murder Bait. He stepped down and he's he's going to be moving back to Chicago here soon. Longtime good friend of mine, one of my closest, oldest friends. But him and his partner are moving back to Chicago. And so he stepped down out of the band. And so the you know band just shifted a little bit in, in, their, in our sound and especially guitar tone wise. And uh, when we handed the record over as it is, uh, as it was recorded to Sentient Ruin. It was not guitar tone wise. It wasn't what they were looking for. And it was just a little bit more on the doomy side, a little less on the straightforward goth, you know, that sort of tone. So it had a little bit more <clears throat> of an Americana. Um, to me, it's, it, it's a little bit more leaning towards stuff like um, you know, some records from Earth or something along those lines. That's a little bit of that uh, Americana style doom, which I love, but it just wasn't like anything else that was on Sentient Ruin. So it was too much of a stretch. So he was like, I, you know, love love the album, love the album, but it's it's just not, doesn't really fit quite enough. I mean, we were already kind of an outlier anyway for that label, um, but it was just a little too much. So, I mean, still, like, we still love Sentient Ruin, where I'm actually meeting up with him, with Mattia, uh, this coming Friday. So, you know, we're, everything's good with it. It was just, again, this 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 album wasn't quite the right fit for that label. So, um, you know, again, at that, at that point, we're just want to keep putting out music and keep releasing music and, I mean, my focus and our focus has always been on um, creating and doing something meaningful that we enjoy and that we're proud of. So if no one picks it up or knows about it, then that's fine. We're just going to keep putting stuff out and keep writing and recording and releasing stuff. In fact, we've since that album has been released, we've been in the studio 
one more time uh, just for a single that we're going to be releasing coming up. Yeah, we're going to actually have a guest musician on that one, but I'm going to leave that one to mystery for a little bit longer until ah, <laughs> so okay. we get that all, all finished right. up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I can relate to being an outlier on a, on a label for sure. You know, with uh, mm -hmm. you know some of the creative, some of the stuff I do is, just, is always a little bit hard to classify at times. Sentient Ruin, that's, um, there's some black metal uh, bands on that label too, right? Yeah, it's yeah. predominantly black metal. Right, yeah. And, and um, um, I think uh, Death Crux is on that, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. yeah, those guys are cool. I like that band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, we were really stoked to be on the label, even though we're not at all black metal uh, or any sort of metal necessarily. <laughs> um, I've always one of my favorite some of my favorite bands are bands that have ended up on predominantly metal labels that are not themselves metal at all i mean bands like zombie you know even like woven hand and bands like that that are not at all metal but ended up on these predominantly metal labels i just something about that is has been i mean i've liked the bands regardless but for for some reason there's something really special about bands that are embraced by metal labels that aren't themselves metal there's just something really tends to be something really interesting about those bands so for us to have been invited to be on that label was yeah it was pretty exciting for us we were we we're really happy about that how long has murder bait been around because i i you know for me you know, having only discovered you guys last year and, and actually murder baits, this kind of gateway band for me now, uh, we'll mm. get into that later, but there's, <laughs> you know, I, I, Ralph turned me on to, um, you know, the EP. And then of course we, when the new record came out, we were both excited about it. And, uh, the deeper we got into the, or I want to speak for myself now, you know, Ralph and I are two separate people, <laughs> even though we do have a lot of the same characteristics and a lot of the same likes and dislikes, but you know, I'll speak for myself. Um, you know, I started getting deeper into the record and um, and then I started discovering more about some of the other bands that you play in and the other bands associated with what you guys do. And it's it's a gateway for me right now. So how long has Murder Bay been around? Because that's that's the one thing I was, uh, you know, was curious about, you know, the formation of the band and, you know, other bands you guys might have played in and things like that. It's a little nebulous because the the band sort of started with it was sort of a reaction for me uh getting out of playing in punk bands for about 15 years at that point 10 or 15 years and i moved to portland and ended up i had really young kids at the time you know they were babies at the time and ended up moving away from my I didn't have my home instrument, which was, was my drum set, which all the bands I'd played in up until that point were bands I played drums in. And didn't have, I was dirt poor, didn't have the money to have a space to play music. And so out of really sheer desperation for doing something creative, I just ended up picking up whatever instruments I could find uh, including this old piano that I found off Craigslist uh, for free, essentially that somebody would just deliver to my house. And, you know, the thing was God awful out of tune, but 
you know, it worked enough and just started collecting different instruments and, and sort of learned to do my own recording and learned to start playing various instruments on my own, just out of, again, boredom and desperation. And so, I mean, the earliest stuff that we were, that I was doing was literally just a two cassette tapes put together where I'd record onto one and then play it on another. So, I'd, you know, start with some kind of percussion and then record it and then play it on a boom box while I record a piano part over the percussion that was playing off the other boom box and layering, you know, recordings by doing that wow. just super, super archaic and not a great way of doing it. I mean, technology had already, you know, gone much, much past that in terms of what, you know, was around, but, but I just didn't have any access to anything else at that time. And then, you know, a few years later was able to save up and get enough for a computer and, and some software uh, for, you know, just garage band and all that sort of stuff. What, what did and, this, uh, this cassette deck demo process sound like? What, what, did, what did the, uh, the actual music <laughs> sound like? That sounds like I'm, I'm so intrigued by how, what that might actually sound like, honestly. Yeah. Uh, well, I learned really quickly that you have only a few layers before you start just getting insane amounts of noise. So I, you know, the earliest ones I, I started with piano because usually it had a melody or something that I was playing that I would assume that I would want to write everything around that. But then I learned really quickly that every time I recorded, whatever I recorded first would start to go more and more into the background. And you'd start to pick up all this ambient noise that was unintended, you know, the, the head noise from the, from the actual cassettes, uh, you know, cars driving by everything, you just picked up everything. And so I learned really quickly, you know, well, what I want in the background, I should record first. And so again, with whether it was percussion or whatnot, and then recording vocals or anything like that last, uh, whatever I wanted up front. And yeah, they're very, very noisy. At, and, you know, very few people ever heard any of that stuff until I started to figure out some of the, you know, more technologically uh, relevant at the time, <laughs> means for recording music which you know and then just started doing that with with garage band and and just honestly i didn't expect or even write any of the music to play live or even to show anybody it was just you know essentially a therapy for myself uh it means to just get something out um but i ended up showing it to a couple friends of mine and one of them in particular talked me into forming a band and actually doing something with it, which at the time, again, I wasn't really terribly interested in doing because I just, I was still, you know, I had, I have three, three boys who are all now either teenagers or young adults. And at the time I was, you know, full-time parent, full-time job, you know, just really no time to, to speak of, uh, but yeah, it's a good friend of mine talked me into it saying, Hey, I really believe in this. I believe in what you're doing. Um, I would love to, to play whatever you'd want me to play to make this happen and make this come to fruition. 
Um, so we we formed. We got uh, between him. He ended up playing bass, and then we had we got uh, another friend who was interested in playing drums, and formed the first real lineup for for Murder Bait. Started playing out a little bit here and there about around 2010, 2011 was when we actually started to get more serious and but it was a different band i mean everything was so literally everybody other than myself you know is no longer in the band we didn't even have a guitar player at the time um but then years later a few years later about 2016 17 um one of my closest the, the bass player original bass player stepped down and one of my oldest friends uh, that I knew back in California where I grew up, who we'd played music in New Zealand, we'd played music back in California, we'd played music uh, here in Portland a little bit here and there. Wait, hold on a second. We've, New Zealand? Like, it's one thing to go from California to Portland. <laughs> you're like, yeah, we played in, in California, uh, New Zealand, and like... <laughs> Yeah, Minneapolis. We, yeah, him, him, and I somehow we've somehow we've ended up in all these different places together at the same time, and so we have this really interesting history. I mean, his people mistake us for for siblings often. Say, oh, that's your brother, right? Like you guys look, you guys look like your brothers. But yeah, he as soon as the bass player stepped down. Seamus immediately came to mind. He's uh, he's always been one of my favorite people to play music with. He's somebody I trust and just always stylistically got, you know, been on the same page about music. And so had him asked if he would be interested in stepping in and he was, and it's, it's been, it's been great. And then he, and then shortly after the drummer stepped down, original drummer stepped down and and then our our new drummer, or I mean, new at the time for us, stepped in, and I mean, he's a phenomenal drummer. So the first time I saw him was playing in a Susie and the Banshees cover band, which, I mean, the drumming, uh, Budgie's always been one of my favorite drummers <laughs> in terms of some of the creativity and how uh, how he tends to approach music. So watching a drummer just really nailing those parts as if they were his own, I was immediately impressed. And so when I found out that he was interested and in playing with Murderbait, I was like, oh my God, yeah, I would love for him to, to join. And at that point, our, our guitar player, Jason, had already been in the band for some time. And he's somebody I've known from Chicago. And again, another very, very close friend. So it was you know, the, the four of us. And that's where we put out the, our self-titled album was with that, that iteration. And we, and we decided to go with the self-titled album because frankly, it felt like, it felt like we had really stepped into our own sounds more than any other album. We put out a couple before, but, but everything kind of felt uh, less focused or, it just felt more meandering. And with this, uh, the self-titled album, it felt like we'd really stepped into our own. So, 
I, I would agree with that because uh, I, I I pretty much downloaded all this stuff on your uh, your bank <laughs> page, so <laughs> so I'm pretty familiar with with uh, so the, the the older the other material on there is older stuff like we hold nothing in our hands like that yes. record. Okay, that's prior. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally different band at that point. Yeah. Right. Right. Now now actually I have a question about some of that. Um, you were saying that you mm -hmm. played in punk bands like before. Mm -hmm. Now, what kind of punk is it? Like, you know, like crust punk or you know, like uh, pop punk? Like what? And Definitely I'm always, I'm always punk. interested in this. <laughs> I'm always interested yeah. in the transition when you know you're you're like a young guy and you're playing mm -hmm. a very uh, like a style of music that's you know. I mean, I, I look at punk and hardcore and stuff like that as kind of like you know, young man's endeavors yeah. into creativity, but yeah. when across the board everyone who moves past that because some people don't make it out of you know they, they do their thing one guy goes to college or whatever and then the band breaks up and people move, mm -hmm. go their separate ways but the people who stick around and remain creative and they use that they springboard into the next thing like that transition i always find very fascinating with, with uh with musicians mm -hmm. so so for you what was that like so for me i was absolutely obsessed and when i say punk i i don't mean i mean i i was i really discovered punk for me was you know in the, in the early 90s and uh i was already i was still stuck in the late 70s and early 80s uh i mean really anything past 85 kind of lost my interest mm -hmm. once punk became a genre that had its own sound and had definitions uh it became less interesting to me so and maybe so bands like x or something like that and yes and, absolutely know, like, x. like the screamers or something you know yep crass um uh, yeah okay you know like subhumans um you know even early clash and television and you know bands that are like a little bit more on the fringe of even what was considered punk those are bands that i was absolutely obsessed with so a lot of the music that I played, it, it, you know, when I was really young was a lot more like 80s style or even like anarcho type punk and even had a band that was more of like 77 style punk when I was really young. But again, uh, and it some of it got a lot of it got darker and darker as I continued playing in those bands uh, and even almost like don't want to abuse this term, but even even almost uh, prog in in the sense of what punk would be considered, you know, not not three chord style punk songs, but more uh, more what you would expect when you listen to like later subhumans where it's it tends to be a little bit more complex in terms of the song structures and whatnot. That's what I was, you know, just really obsessed with. And then right around the time that I had kids, it there's something really uh for me at least like stepping into fatherhood i i couldn't just keep on with this angst and anger and like music that was you know really uh aggressive or or you know yeah i don't it it just wasn't really fitting with what i was feeling at the moment but I've always liked music that was darker. I've always liked music that was was thought provoking, which is what led me to a lot of the punk music that I liked. 
And I ended up kind of stepping back for a while. I mean, I listened to almost nothing rock in general. I mean, I went through a huge phase where I was obsessed with, you know, early folk music um, and Eastern European music piano music, whatever, some, anything that wasn't like, I kind of got burned out on guitar driven music. And then over time, you know, that just sort of blossomed and, and, and like, I was also at the time absolutely obsessed with stuff like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds because when I heard that, you know, it was like, oh man, here are guys who are essentially playing in a band with rock, you know, instrumentation, but they don't sound like a rock band. They don't sound like anything that's really been forged before. I mean, and then, you know, in a similar way, like you were saying, Murder Bait has been sort of a gateway to all these other bands. They were a huge gateway because, you know, you find out about like Neubotten and, and all these other, spin, you know, all these other musicians that have been a part of the Bad Seeds, obviously the Birthday Party, Crime in the City Solution, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. Roland S. Howard, like all of his projects. And it's just like it becomes this whole whole world that I just had no idea in my, you know, in my youth and just became completely obsessed with all these with all these bands that were a little bit more on the darker, uh, they all had this sort of beauty to them and which also really appealed to me because it was, it was dark, but it also had this balance with something that was, it wasn't just trying too hard to be like, Ooh, look, we're dark. We're, we're sinister. It was like, it showed, uh, a better spectrum of human emotion and the human experience that, that I just really, really appreciated and, and, and was looking for in music in general. Yeah, I remember discovering um, all those bands. Uh, actually, it's funny. I, I discovered <laughs> them through reading Henry Rollins's uh, books that he published, and he would talk about mm-hmm. bands like Swans and The Birthday Party and Neubauten. You know, and he had, like, the Neubauten tattoo. And, and uh, you know, at the time, I was very much just into, like, you know, obviously bands like Black Flag and, you know, yep. like Slayer and, you know, just super aggressive yep. music. And, um, and the Swans, when I explored that realm and then that led me to the birthday party and then that was a gateway into like a whole other world. And, uh, it felt like this kind of secret mm-hmm. music that was going on, like behind the scenes somewhere, you know, like it's some midnight like rendezvous somewhere on some deserted street you had to go listen to this music you know yeah yeah exactly and it it almost had a it's it's music that almost has a philosophy behind it and and a depth behind it that that is what has drawn me to it you know with the swans and especially in there's it's like thinking person's music it's music that that there's there's something more than just like oh go to a show see some music that's it yeah, that was a fun experience one dimensional um, music that challenges your thought process it challenges your reality um, it's cathartic but it's also thought provoking and yeah that was that was what I was really leaning towards um, 
kind of continued leaning towards and and like like I said having also come out of being obsessed with a lot of other cultures music and and learning just a, a, like starting to appreciate things like drone and what what headspace a good drone will put you in it's this meditative thing that and it's something that krautrock really did well at at driving in it, it's approaching music in a way that's not structured in a way that's going to be more of your prefrontal cortex of just like oh this is a song and i'm 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 figuring out the structure and it's a pop you know structure and it's going to it's going to start and it's going to end and that's it it's it's so driving and so rhythmic or so droning that it starts to put you in a in a space that's almost almost start to lose sense of time and space. And, and then if you introduce layers on top of that, whether it's a new melody on top of a, of a driving rhythm or a driving drone, then all of a sudden it, it puts that melody in a different light because it's, you're, you're in a different part of your brain. You're processing that song and that music in a different, from a different part of your brain. That's, that's, almost not even connected to the here and now or it, or so connected to the here and now that you're not thinking about the structure anymore or whatnot. And so bands like Swans really do such an amazing job of driving that uh, approach to music in a way that that's always been really intriguing and really inspiring to me. Well, this this definitely gives some context to, um, you know, your early explorations with the uh, the, the cassette deck uh, recordings, uh, you know, and using piano and having this sort of non unconventional way of approaching that creative process back then, and how that morphed into the band, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I've always. I think that's again what what always drew me to early punk as opposed to some of the more established later stuff was that it was I mean you listen even even like early post punk stuff like I mean you listen to Bauhaus like early early Bauhaus is it's essentially like this weird amalgam between dub and a little bit of psychedelic and you know some early uh well that dub I mean, the dub it, thing was like a very british like thing that was going on i, I feel like even yeah. like public image limited had like a oh yeah a pretty heavy dub that's, thing going on in those early records too yeah absolutely and it's but it it becomes its own thing because it's this bizarre mix of several other things but in a way that no one you know there wasn't already a forged path of like, oh, this is what goth music is going to sound like, and or this is what it should sound like. And so, I mean, even like early punk stuff, like the X-ray specs, like, I mean, they sound nothing like, you know, the Buzzcocks, and they sound nothing like every other punk band that was at the time, you know, everybody was completely doing their own thing. And that, that unforged path of approaching music and, and writing music uh, that is, has, you know, it sort of exists outside of a genre was always really inspiring to me. And, and I think that's what led me to feeling super detached from punk music 
at in my early 20s because I had been in a punk band for, you know, several punk bands for over 10 or 15 years at that point. I, I came to learn very quickly that uh, it, once you're in a scene like that, you are expected to play that genre's music and all and, and exist by that genre's rules and limitations. And I mean, I myself was one of the people that was like, Oh, we can't do that because that's, that's not very, you know, that doesn't really sound very anarcho punk, you know, to play, to play that or to do it like that. And it just drove me crazy toward the end. I was just like, I don't want to have these limitations. And, but you know, at the same time, some limitations are great, but, but uh, I was really at the time really burned out on it. And so I wanted to strip myself of everything and try to see things from a different perspective. And, and now at this point, you know, I, I, I love it all. And, and I feel like I have so many less limitations, but I'm also not afraid to, for us to do something that could easily be defined just as much as I'm not afraid to do something that is outside of any of those genres or parameters too. So it's, it's been a nice place to be in recently and it, and it's really taken this time with playing music with people that I really trust and that <laughs> frankly have enough patience with me to be, you know, to allow me to go through these processes and, and to, to know like we constantly do, I mean, this, this last album that we recorded with Nostalgia Like Cancer, several of the songs had probably about five different renditions of them that were completely different before we landed on the one that ended up on the record. And it was a necessary process. We, you know, we would, we would throw, throw it all out, play it all, reel it back in, reel it back in way too much, redo the structure, change the time signature, you know, whatever it was, and listen to it 500 times, realize, hey, you know, actually, I think it might be like this instead and, and approach it in a completely different, from a completely different angle. Um, and I'm, I mean, it's the, probably the album that I'm most proud of, of all the music I've ever played. And, and it was because of that process that, that uh, I feel so good about it. That's awesome. I, I mean, so there's a lot of demoing, I imagine, that goes on and, and just dissecting of all the songs and different ideas. That, that's, that's always a very healthy thing, even though it's at the time it probably seems like obsessive and crazy, you know, to go through all these <laughs> different, you know, painstaking, you know, processes and things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you always have the the one person in the band or at some point when you're right about to, you know, you, you feel, you start feeling good about something and then somebody throws a wrench in the works, but it's, but it's necessary and it drives you crazy at the time. You want to strangle the person and we've each been that person at one point or another in this, uh, in this last album, each of the band band members, but it's, it's always worth it. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you go through the process and you land on, no, this was right. We, we were doing it right this whole time. But even just going through that process of, of questioning it, it are, are we sure this is right? Is this the right way to approach a song? It's worthwhile. It, it's still, 
it's still good to go through that. And then everybody being on board and really like catching that vision and catching the purpose and the reason behind it. I, I can, I can hear it. I can feel it when, when there's the difference between getting through a song and really feeling a song for each musician. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, on on the self-titled record, that's that's definitely I agree. That's where you, the sound of the band actually kind of formed. Even though I wouldn't say that you, I, I hesitate to say it was defined because that record definitely sounds different than than uh, nostalgia like cancer. You know, and, mm -hmm. and you were mentioning there was a little some lineup changes and whatnot. But mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like you defined it and this is like the template for every record. But yeah. there's definitely yeah. a characteristic to the sound of the band which was uh set on that record which carried on to the next three records mm -hmm. and um and once again it's like you're like we were talking about earlier it's hard to define but there are definitely some key elements and a lot of that has to do with your voice and mm -hmm. the heaviness of the music without it necessarily being heavy you know what i mean mm -hmm. like the music sounds like there's like a have like a like a big emotional component to it mm -hmm. you know so i guess the next thing i'd like to ask is like like lyrically are are these like personal lyrics or are they observational or you know delving into the esoteric or like you know what what's the basic uh vibe in, in the lyrics i'm mostly very autobiographical but but at times, you know, contemplative in terms of looking at and, you know, just observing the human condition. But I, a lot of the lyrics that I write are things that I've frankly learned in therapy and through, you know, a lot of therapy and, and going through things. And, and they're just obviously on my mind heavily. I've, always struggled with depression as long as I can, as far back as I can remember. And so dealing with living with something like that from a very young age, it leaves you feeling sort of on the outside of interactions that you have and, and, and even community and, and people that are around you. And often for me has always, has often loved me to sort of feel like an observer of, of humans, <laughs> human condition and, what it's like to be to interact with other people and even with myself and so these things are just you know constantly going through my mind and 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 a lot of the lyrics that i write are essentially me processing how to navigate life um so i mean even like like on our first uh on the self-titled album songs like ruts are you know that song is essentially about neural pathways and that understanding and and coming to the realization of, about you know trying you know years of talking therapy and medication and various you know emdr therapy and different things to try to to address chronic depression and anxiety and having, you know, being really frustrated with the the lack of results at times, and understanding how neural pathways work, and and that these like deeply entrenched neural pathways that 
we, you know, essentially have, have built into our minds and, and how we handle things and how we process things in life. They're just like these ruts that we get stuck in and everything starts to fall into those ruts and becomes, you know, this familiar pathway of, of how to process things. So, yeah, so a lot of, a lot of it's, you know, that type of stuff. And then, uh, but on nostalgia, like cancer, there's also some observational lyrics just about the state of the world, either the opening track lost where nostalgia, like cancer comes from was in a lot, in a lot of ways, a response to just the sort of unraveling of our culture that came about around 2016, <laughs> where, you know, we, we sort of fooled ourselves into thinking we were a post-racist society and we were all these things and and we're so far and advanced and, you know, we're, we're so evolved now and it became painfully evident for anyone that that is not the case and has since just been, has gotten worse and worse to show us how, you know, how we're essentially the same that we've always been, you know, in terms of people and their biases and, and their willingness to hate others and, and be divided for political or, you know, reasons that are essentially somebody's not like me. And so I, I, I am afraid of them or I, I default don't like them or don't trust them. And, and so that, uh, that song in particular is essentially a uh, lamenting of humanity. <laughs> it's, you know, tendencies to repeat the past and repeat these horrific histories that we've endured over and over and over again, continue to do the same thing. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that because I think that, um, it's almost like the last four or five years have been this uh, anthropological study of uh, data chunking and uh, how biases arose in the human like hominids, basically, you know, where, mm -hmm. where there's like rather, you know, in the out, out in the wild when we were running away from tigers, mm -hmm. we, we would like the early hominid would would gather information, but not specific information. It would be like, OK, shape you know, size yep. is a threat equals run away equal, yeah, or, or attack. Threat, yep. Yeah. So yep. it's almost like that, that instinct has never been refined to meet the modern world. You know what I mean? And that's what it feels like it back in the nineties, it felt like a totally different world than it did in 2016. Yeah. You know, and that's just a reminder that we're still these like bizarre tribal, like apes, you know? Yeah. We're, we're not, we're not ready to, we're still existing. The way that our brains function are still in this very primal modality. And we're trying to process all these ridiculously difficult and sophisticated bits of information that are, you know, just too much for us to handle. And, but the worst part about it is that most people trust themselves to, not be you know affected by our primal brains so it's it's this idea that you know 
anybody who thinks that they have no biases, for example, is the one that you just really can't trust the most. Yeah. You know, everybody has biases. That's how our brains work. Um, to recognize that we have biases and to challenge those biases. That's that, those are the people that you're, you're going to trust more because, Oh, like they, they recognize that they have this fight or flight brain that that's still looking for tigers in the shadows, but recognizing that those tigers don't exist. And that's just, you know, whatever the situation at hand is, but recognizing again, that we still have those same, that same hardwired brain that is looking for those dangers. Yeah. So that's, that's a a lot of the theme for this newest album is essentially about that. And, and also just the cancer in in itself um, that was using that word in, in the, album was actually a point of of some argument in the band for a moment because we know that it's a provocative word and it's it understandably brings up some very a lot of pain for a lot of people and rightly so you know we've everybody in in the band we've all lost close people to us from cancer both of my parents had cancer, they're cancer survivors. Um, all of my, essentially all of my grandparents died of cancer. It's, it's something that's very, very close to us in, a, in the worst kind of way. But this, again, I, I think I just got so tired of, of hearing. I think I heard the term our forefathers one too many times <laughs> in reference to some sort of thing to aspire to. And you know, this idea that we, oh, things were so much better back then, or, you know, we were, we, we knew what we were doing back then, or life was so good back then. And it, it just wasn't, I mean, of course, certain things, sure, you can recognize that there's some things, you know, gas prices were cheaper (laughs) 10 years ago, you know, like, you could be specific about certain things. And those are facts. But I, I remember hearing this really interesting study about how every time we, as humans, every time we recall a memory, it becomes less and less accurate. And it was something that it was somebody that was talking about specifically, specifically they were talking about in court when they're, when you're interviewing a, a victim or a witness to a crime, the more times you ask them, that witness or victim to recall the situation, the less accurate it becomes. And, you know, you could theorize why, but I, I, I agreed with the person who was, who was speaking in this interview. They were, they were saying that it's, it's likely because as human beings, we tend to compartmentalize and we tend to categorize things. So we just, again, it go, goes back to that primal brain. We, we like to label something as a threat if it if it means that it's going to keep us alive and so when we look back on memories we start to compartmentalize and categorize things it's like oh this this was good this was the victim this was the villain you know this was the hero in the story and we become we we turn our memories into narratives 
And then those narratives, they're a story. They're no longer factual. They're no longer recalling what actually happened. It's we're telling a story, whether it's to ourselves or to other people. And then we run the risk of just all living in this fiction of our own minds. And that fiction can so often and so often does become a vehicle for pushing dogma and pushing false, you know, just lies about what, you know, anytime you hear again, somebody say something about our forefathers here in America, it's like, God damn it. Those motherfuckers were slave owners and the most sexist people on the planet. You know, like what these were not people to like look back on and saying, yeah, they knew everything. They were just the, the epitome of humanity. Well, further, were, furthermore, there there were a bunch <laughs> of criminals and like yeah. re religious rejects, like Protestants, yep. you know, that were couldn't hang in England, so they had to they had to leave basically. Exactly. Yeah. They. I mean, sure, they might have had some good ideas, but yeah, lots of people have good ideas, who are, as a whole, not good people, and so that's <clears throat> that's what a lot of this album really like challenges and 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 talks about and thinks about is is just these themes of of what it is to exist and and to be human and recognizing those like you know being human is is messy it's it's not this clean nice and tidy experience of oh this person is good and this person is bad or this situation was good and this situation is bad it's it's a mix of all of it and if you're, when we stop realizing that and we start infusing this narrative, it just becomes less and less real and less and less true. And, and again, we just run the risk of diluting ourselves into this story that's not reality. Which, I, you know, I, I frankly, actually, whatever, sorry, my, yeah. maybe that's better. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things I was going to add was like, you know, you could even extrapolate that further out and and if you think about just your and everyone's perception of reality is very subjective i mean mm -hmm. you know i mean i don't know if you've read like thomas Ligotti or any of that kind of stuff but there's there's like uh the idea that that our personalities are just these like dreams and like reflections of uh like a physical world that is detached from you know any kind of intellect really you know, and that everything that we're perceiving as reality is a completely, is an illusion essentially, you know, and, and in some ways that's true because yeah. in order to survive, there's so many things that have to be filtered out of our perception. Otherwise, you know, like there's even, even certain like colors and sounds and things like that that are not perceptible, even, you know, things like that. So mm -hmm. I, I also apply that idea just to like a, like a subjective reality, you know, and as, as you've mm -hmm. seen over the last few years, there are a multitude of <laughs> subjective realities that people are living in that are completely independent from one another. And they be really believe that those realities are true, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, say, you could say that about religion and any spiritual belief or any belief in general. And, and at the end of the day, if, if it makes you a good person and you're able to show up and it gets you through your day, then, you know, whatever, 
doesn't no skin off my back but but again all too often the problem becomes when it sort of becomes this this mission or or it's weaponized essentially and all too often and i i i agree i i think like what you're saying with with recognizing and you know that we part of the of what's necessary to survive is to tune out certain things i mean if you it's it's one of the things about when you start losing your hearing it's one of the big things isn't that you're you're hearing everything you're hearing everything on that same level it's why hearing aids are, are really challenging because they it's like they turn everything up but they don't differentiate the person speaking to you and tuning out everything else our brains are really really good at tuning everything else out that's unimportant and focusing on the important thing and we do it with smell we do it with sight we do it with our memories we do it with everything and some of us are much better at it than others and you know it's probably why those of us who are anxious and depressed we're we're less good in some ways it could probably be argued that we're just less good at tuning out the things that we should tune out you know it doesn't make it any more real or any less real to exist in that state but it's you know for whatever reason some of us just have a really difficult time not focusing on those things yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> it, but you know and and in some ways like you know there's these theories about our brains just being these kind of dream machines really where mm -hmm. you know where your personality the reality like everything that you that is in your existence is a projection of some mm -hmm. yeah and but with that in mind that that's also very powerful too because if if in, in a fact it is a dream you can yeah. control like what aspects of that dream that you what pass would passageway through that dream that you take yeah as i mentioned earlier uh you know murder bait was this kind of a gateway band for me and uh so i also discovered um dry wedding so I'm going to have Davey, I'm going to have Davey on, uh, in a couple of days and, uh, we're going to talk about uh, dry wedding. And, um, that's a band I discovered, uh, you know, with murder bait being a gateway. And, uh, I also found out about Shadowlands, which is the band that you play drums in. Yeah. And that there is this web that's connects murder bait, Shadowlands and dry wedding with members and relationships and all this other stuff. And, so yeah, Shadowlands is great. I've been I've actually um, moved a little bit past my murderbait phase, and I'm in my Shadowlands phase <laughs> right now. And I'm listening to uh, 003, like that record. That's the one that has the song "The End" on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really digging that record. Yeah, that it's my my partner sings, and she's the predominant songwriter for Shadowlands, um, and sings and plays synth in that band and then like you said i i play drums in shadowlands and actually the guitar player for murderbait the original guitar player jason um was also the original guitar player in shadowlands <clears throat> and then he stepped down out of shadowlands just because playing in two bands was too much for him at the time and then uh my partner's twin my partner amy her twin sister identical twin sister plays guitar and so she stepped in and she's been playing and so 003 is the first album that she is uh the guitar player 
yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoy, like I said, playing drums is my home instrument. And so I can't imagine there've been times where it's like, well, maybe playing in two bands is, is a lot, especially again, being, you know, having a full-time job and having, having three kids and all that sort of stuff. It's very, very busy, but, but I couldn't imagine doing one or the other with, with murder bait. I'm, I'm writing the majority of the music I'm writing the lyrics and I'm singing and playing synthesizer and keyboards and all that sort of stuff. But then Shadowlands, just being able to let go, let somebody else write the songs and playing drums uh, also is just, it's, it's another part of me that for me, I, I need. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. I, the guitar work on that record, I particularly like actually it's that stuck out as, um, that being like something that I was like very, very much drawn to the guitar work on zero zero three. I think that, you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting that there's a new guitarist on that record. Yeah. Yeah. She did a fantastic job of, of stepping in. Some of the songs were already uh, at least partially written, but others, others we hadn't written at all by the time Angie start, uh joined the band, but she did a fantastic job of stepping in and, and taking it and running with it. She hadn't really, she predominantly was playing at the time uh, folk music. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she wow. was in a, a folk music project. And so some of it was literally just like, okay, so here are all the guitar pedals that you're going to need to buy. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, you know, she, her and, and Amy grew up listening to a lot of the same music, obviously, you know, being being twin sisters and so a lot of the stuff you know it's it's really interesting to watch them record and and play because they definitely have some of that weird unspoken twin communication going on that you know they'll just sort of have a conversation with with very few words and somehow they know exactly what they're talking about and then with shadowlands also the bass player is amy calls him her band husband because she's been in i think i think gosh like six or seven bands with him over the years and so it's yeah it's just everybody's so incredibly close in that band as well so it's it's you know we just love love being around each other and just really care about each other and and writing music is just really 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 fun it's it's really a lot of fun yeah, it's it's dark, but in this kind of Julie Cruz way, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah, it's dark, but it has like this kind of beauty to it, which is is really, really, really interesting. Yeah, I think it's, that song, the end, uh, is actually one of my favorites of ours. It it has such a Twin Peaks vibe, but also very disintegration era Cure, which I mean is to me some of the you know one of the best albums of all time. And just got it has everything that I like <laughs> in the song. It's got a you know hooky melody, but it's dark and it's got this ethereal. Just it it, it scratches all the itches for me musically. So yeah, I that one in particular has a real special place in my heart. Have you guys been playing like both bands like playing shows like since uh, you know things have sort of gotten return to normal somewhat depending on what part of the country you're in i guess <laughs> yeah off and on we 
both bands have gone through some canceled plans. Uh, in fact, both both Murder Bay and Shadowlands had to cancel a show a couple weeks ago because we all got COVID, or I got COVID. My my kids brought COVID home, and then uh, got me and my partner sick, <clears throat> and then other bandmates ended up catching it too. So we had to cancel. Uh, and then there have been other times in the past where you know just due to restrictions and and whatnot that it got canceled outside of our of our uh you know us as a band but um but yeah we've been playing we've been still playing out and we have some shows in the future that are coming up so yeah we've it's i mean it's been such a weird time because all of us have been playing music you know since we were in our teens and, and it's so weird to be in a place to see I, I, there's a little while where we were wondering if, you know, live music was going to be a thing anymore. Yeah. I think everyone and, had that fear, you know, and it's, it's, like I said, I have, yeah, my, my three kids, um, one of them's in college and the other two are teenagers and my middle son's actually really phenomenal guitar player. I uh, was playing in a band for a few years and he ended up quitting uh, in the middle of the pandemic and and sort of just kind of stopped seeming to care about music or, or shows or anything. And then recently, only recently, started finding a group of kids who are going to shows all the time. And frankly, Portland, one of the things Portland is really not very good at is, is having all ages venues. There's very, very, very few here in town. And so it's really hard to find anything that's under 21. Uh, for shows and he found a group of kids that that you know essentially have a community of you know sort of a ring of like hey here's where the show is going to be at today and uh, it's going to be at this house or it's going to be at a you know burrito shop or whatever and it's just revived his his passion and love for music and Frankly, it's that's been one of the most encouraging things that I've seen in a long time because again, like I mean, it's it's such it's been such a powerful and beneficial thing to me and to you know, to fear that like, well, maybe this is something that's going away, uh, was really depressing. So it's good to see that, you know, these younger generations are are carrying the torch and it and still doing still excited about going to shows and and playing music and, and watching live music so it that frankly has been something that's that's encouraged me to like okay yeah this let's let's keep booking shows let's keep doing stuff let's try to to book some tours um you know in the future and that's definitely the the hope we just we we all love playing and as long as people will show up and want to see us, we'll, we'll keep playing. One of the worst things that happened to, to me during the pandemic was uh, doing one of these like live recorded uh, video kind of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I, we shot this thing and it wasn't even live streamed. It was just captured and then released as a live performance yeah. and i was like man this fucking sucks man like this is like <laughs> this isn't even that fun at all you know and it's like yeah it's such a horrible feeling to do that you know 
it's all the sterileness of of being in a studio, but without any of the graces that being in a studio allows you. Yeah, I I completely agree. I've I've seen so many different attempts at at what you know shows could be. I'm sure Davey will tell you. There's I saw I saw a dry wedding attempt to show where they were playing behind glass inside while everyone was outside and the music was piped outside through speakers. And, you know, it's it's cool to keep trying and attempting new things, and I'm all for innovation and something that's interesting and, and safe and, you know, keeping people alive and keeping venues open and all that sort of stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, just nothing replaces that, that human interaction. And, I mean, it's essentially, it's that that religious experience without the dogma, you know, it's that like something that's very, in my opinion, it's just innately human and what everyone is looking for. It's that, it's that right brain, like dissolving of, of the sense of self and dissolving of that, you know, concern or even awareness of the past or future. And it's that here and now it's the congregation all that is just you can't fake that you can't you can't replicate that in any other context outside of of something that's you're feeling that music right in front of you and you're surrounded by people that are also experiencing the same thing as you in real time yeah it's just nothing nothing replaces that absolutely so where where can people find information about both bands, uh, you know, Bandcamp? Like, what's what's all the uh, relevant locations on the internet that people can uh, can find news and music about you guys? Yeah, uh, Bandcamp is one of the best uh, in terms of you know what music we have available, merchandise, and all that sort of stuff. Direct any direct. Uh, I'm I'm really good at responding back to folks and all that sort of stuff. I manage the Bandcamp page. Uh, and then we also use Instagram a lot for, you know, keeping people updated on, on the band and what's happening and different happenings, especially in terms of shows and upcoming news or whatnot happens a lot on Instagram and through that Facebook too, a little bit, but uh, those I would those are the mo those are the main ones outside of just continuing on in the shadows of the band <laughs> off to the side of uh, outside of the internet. Well, I had a great time and it was uh, it was nice talking to you, Casey. And thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.